Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for November 9th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to take a look at a bunch of news, including uh, news on the Metal Gear Solid movie, uh, the first early buzz from Future Man, Seth Rogen, and Evan Goldberg's time travel show for Hulu. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio has been canceled. Sean Levy, one of the Stranger Things producers and directors, is directing a new film, which we're going to talk about. Uh, All the money in the world has replaced Kevin Spacey after the film has been shot. Uh, Apple is greenlighting another TV drama. And uh, no more new Marvel Netflix shows are going to be happening on Netflix. We'll have news on that. And in the mailbag, uh, we'll be talking about how many streaming services is too many, which is very topical since we're talking about you know, Marvel, Netflix, and Apple's new TV series. Joining me on today's podcast are Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. How's it going, guys? All right. Pretty good. Uh, it's going good. Um, let's jump right into the news. Uh, the Metal Gear Solid movie has gotten a screenwriter. Chris, you're at the sub for the site. What do we know? Right. So Derek Connolly, who wrote uh, Jurassic World, and he wrote the sequel, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and he's also going to be writing uh, Star Wars Episode Ten or co-writing it, I guess, has just been hired to write. Actually, I'm not even sure that's the case anymore because, you know, he was working with his his pal there, Colin Trevorrow, who is no longer on that project. So I'm not sure if he's still on that. They're not going to use his draft, you don't think, or anything you wrote? Well, we don't know. I mean, I I, I, I would assume that they're throwing out everything if they were that unhappy with it. But I guess guess you're right. We don't know. They could be using his draft, yeah. But I I would assume they're they're, they're redoing it heavily, and it would be a story by credit, if anything. But who knows? We don't know. Okay, go on. Sorry. Right, and he also wrote uh, Kong Skull Island for Jordan Voigt. How do you say his name? Jordan Voigt Roberts? Is yeah, that correct? I think so. Right, right. so Jordan Voigt Roberts is directing the Metal Gear Solid movie, so I guess he brought on his writer from Kong Skull Island to write the, the, the latest draft for this. 
there's been drafts before this, but Derek Connolly is the latest writer hired to take a crack at it. Now, I never played Metal Gear Solid. Were either of you fans of that video game series? Uh, I recently got a PlayStation 4, and one of the games that I got with it as a gift was uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain. I had never played any other games in this franchise, but I've been tinkering around with this one a little bit, and it sort of reminds me of Splinter Cell, which is another video game where it's like you're sort of creeping around in the dark and there's a lot of uh, spy action going on. There's some, you know, some combat stuff in there, too, but it's a lot of like... um, I guess, like reconnaissance and and sort of, uh, you know, it, it's better to have a lighter touch instead of just running in guns blazing. It's not that kind of a game. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see what a movie looks like because I have very little uh, experience with this franchise as a whole. Well, we haven't seen a lot of movies that portray spy, like, you know, ratcheting, ratcheting up the tension of like not being caught, you know, being stealthy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think that, that would make a good movie? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, the characters and like, you know, this game starts out with this bizarre supernatural thing. And like I said, I'm not familiar with any of the other games in this franchise. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure how much of that is uh, a late addition because this is the fifth game. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, there's going to be some weird stuff in there if they do sort of a direct adaptation of the most recent game because there are like characters that fly around and ones that like appear as like fire gods almost out of nowhere. And I'm, I'm sure I have much more to learn about their backstories as this game goes on. I'm only like 3% through the game, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a weird movie. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, what's our opinion on Derek Connolly? Because I know a lot of people do not like Colin Trevorrow and he's kind of been tied to him him for most of his filmography thus far i mean he did do kong skull island but i think uh you know the screenplay for kong skull island was not the the um the better part of that movie Uh, chris do you have any thoughts on um derek i mean he wrote uh monster trucks which i really like and i'm (laughs) so so i don't have a problem with i mean he, he clearly does not write scripts that i would consider to be high art but He's obviously doing something right because he keeps getting hired to all these uh, these high concept projects. So someone must like him. Yes. Um, also in the news, uh, a lot of reviews have come out for Future Man, the Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg time travel show, which is going to launch on Hulu. I'm actually very interested in this because, you know, Seth Rogen has wanted to uh, do a remake of The Last Starfighter for a longest time, couldn't get the rights. And I think this TV show seems to be the result of that. Ben, you you wrote up an article uh, combining all the reviews. What what is the early buzz for this this show? Yeah, I think generally speaking, uh, this quote from the Washington Post sums it up best. They say it's a dumb, profane, and predictable show that works because it never once aims for greatness. Everyone here just wants the viewer to enjoy the ride. So that seems to be a a pretty good summation of. Uh, a lot of the early reviews. And as you mentioned, this show is it stars Josh, uh, Josh Hutcherson from the Hunger Games franchise. And he is a janitor who plays a video game and is like the best in the world at this video game. And when he beats the game, he sort of unlocks uh, or I guess releases two time travelers from the future who reveal that this game is actually like a recruitment tool where they are looking to find, you know, the savior who can help them save the world in the future, basically. Um, So there's a lot of riffing on uh, the Terminator and Last Starfighter and Back to the Future. And I guess 
the show, I mean, it definitely wears its influences on its sleeve. The Hollywood Reporter says uh, there's a process that's repeated multiple times when watching this show. First, you get uh, you notice a character or a beat that feels incredibly familiar and you think, man, this show is totally ripping off blank. Then just as you're about to be frustrated, Future Man will make explicit reference to that thing being mimicked or echoed, not as a wink or a nudge, but as a yes, we know what we're doing and we know that, you know, acknowledgement. Is it clever <laughs> and knowing or is it obvious and pandering the correct answer is probably yes all of these things so uh i like that uh, that little breakdown um so i feel like it's one of those things that it's going to be um it's going to be very personal whether you react well to this show or not i guess it depends a lot on your um particular uh you know tolerance for nostalgia and sort of um overt geeky references and things like that but uh i guess there's a lot of um you know ridiculous uh sort of graphic, uh, filthy, raunchy humor and stuff, which is to be expected with any Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg property. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I, I, I've been very interested in this, but uh, the reviews are not um, confident in, in inducing. I, I mean, you know, I grew up as part of like, you know, that that Clark's generation. You know, I love you know, references and homages and, and stuff like that. But I also want something to be good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I don't know. We'll have to, I'll give it a chance, but it sounds like, uh, I, I know you and your, uh, your, your, your choosiness with uh new TV shows. This doesn't sound like something you'd give a chance. <laughs> I mean, I'll, uh, I'll wait and see what you think about it after, you know, three or four episodes and then give it a shot. <laughs> okay. Uh, also in the news, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is not happening. Uh, you know, this it, someone joked on Twitter that this is, should be just like a reoccurring news story every week that, you know, Guillermo del Toro's blank is not happening because he has so much in development and none of it almost ever happens. Uh, Chris, what do we know about this? Right. So like you said, Guillermo del Toro has a wealth of projects that he announces and then they never get made. There's at the Mountains of Madness, there's a the Haunted Mansion movie. The, the, the list is pretty much endless. And it, as it, always, it's like dozens of projects, like literally dozens a, of projects. It's a lot. And it's always frustrating because they always sound like really cool projects and they just don't get made. And uh, adding to the list is he was going to make a stop motion uh, adaptation of Pinocchio. And now he's saying that, too, is just not going to happen. Uh, and it was in development for a long time. He was he was working on it since uh, at least 2008, and now he just gave an update saying it's officially canceled. And do that's we, about do it. Do you know why? He doesn't really give a reason. He just basically shrugs it off as just <laughs> these things happen. Basically, that he he just makes these he gets committed to these projects and they just can't get them off the ground. I, I was excited for this because it you know involved the Jim Henson company. Uh, I kind of wish there was someone, I, I said this on Twitter, I kind of wish there was someone like Megan Ellison who loved Guillermo del Toro so much that, he, you know, that they would just finance, you know, a film a year from, from this guy. But um, it doesn't seem to be happening that way. Um, yeah. Sh Sean Levy, one of the directors and producers of Stranger Things, has signed on to direct this new movie, which is being pitched as Stand By Me on the Moon. Ben, what do we know about this? Yes, the film is called Crater, and it is described as a coming-of-age story in the vein of Stand By Me set on a moon colony. 
After the death of his father, a boy growing up on a lunar mining colony takes a trip to explore a mysterious crater along with his four best friends prior to being permanently relocated to another planet. So, yeah, definitely a Stand By Me vibe. Uh, Definitely some Stranger Things in there. And with Sean Levy, whose work not only includes Stranger Things, but he actually got his start directing... Uh, TV shows like The Secret World of Alex Mack and Animorphs and The Famous Jet Jackson. People of a certain age will probably recognize all of those shows. I sort of grew up watching all of those shows. Um, So he definitely has uh, a lot of experience directing films with child protagonists. I think he works pretty well with, uh, you know, with kid uh, actors. And this sort of um, coming of age story uh, he also produced The Spectacular Now, which is a really great coming-of-age indie movie that came out a few years ago. Um, so I, I think he's a pretty good fit for this. And I know that Sean Levy is not, like, the coolest director on film Twitter or anything like that. But he, uh, I feel like he's he's pretty solid. He, you know, he makes some cheesy stuff, the Night at the Museum movies. Um, I actually liked Real Steel that he directed in 2011. Uh, I'm not really sure what you guys think about that movie or if you think this film has any potential, but I, I'm like cautiously optimistic about this. I mean, I, I think Sean Levy, the the word, and I used it when we were talking about Stranger Things, is vanilla. He is just, you know, he's fine. They're just, it's just like uh, plain and simple and uh, Real Steel is probably my favorite from him. And I think I think that's probably because I can feel the Spielberg influence uh, on that mm-hmm. film. He produced that film. Um, but, uh, the, this premise is actually very interesting. Yeah. And I, I think stranger things cannot be, you know, you can't give Sean Levy credit for stranger things. I think his producing partner, I forget his name. I think it's Dan something, uh, was the guy that found the Duffer brothers and found the project. And he's largely responsible for, you know, it happening and the success of it. Um, but, uh, yes, moving on, uh, all the money in the world, is a movie that we've already seen a trailer of. It's already finished shooting, but they are replacing Kevin Spacey in the movie during post-production. Chris, what do we know? Right. So this is pretty much a very uh, unprecedented move. Like I, this has pretty much never happened before. Um, uh, in light of the allegations against Kevin Spacey, Ridley Scott is going to go back and reshoot all of Kevin Spacey's scenes in the upcoming all the money in the world and replace him with uh, actor Christopher Plummer. And, you know, obviously films in the past have replaced actors before, like uh, uh, Eric Stoltz got replaced on Back to the Future, that sort of stuff. But that usually happens during production. This film, it's finished. It's in the can. It's like three weeks away from being released. And now because of all this, you know, bad buzz around it, because of Kevin Spacey, they're going to quickly try and, and patch it up. And not only are they going to reshoot, they're still trying to stick to the December 22nd release date, which is, it's crazy. That's, you know, a month away, basically. They're going to try and have this stick to that. And I don't know, I guess they're going to be able to do it because Ridley Scott seems confident it's going to happen, but it's very, uh, it's a a shocking story. Yeah, I can't even think of a film that has, you know, shot scenes that late into, you know, to the actual release. Actually, uh, Avengers, Avengers one. Josh Whedon famously filmed the end credit scene with the shawarma, uh, the night of the the world premiere, or the night day of the world premiere of that film, which I think was a couple weeks before the release. So that's the closest thing I can think of. But I can't think of anybody being recast this late into production. Uh, ben, do you have any thoughts on this? 
I mean, this is crazy. I, I, yeah, I'm shocked at this whole thing. But I think um, two things come to mind. One, I read that uh, Spacey only shot eight days on the movie. So theoretically, uh, Plummer would only have to shoot for, yeah, a, you know, a little more than a week or something. That still is, is you know, this timeline is still crazy regardless. But maybe it's not quite as... Um, as manic as we as we sort of imagine it could be if he has that small a role in there um the other thing is this movie i feel like nobody was talking about this film before this happened and now you know all eyes are on this movie so i feel like christopher Plummer could actually get some serious attention if he's good in this film because people are just going to be curious about it um, and and wondering, you know, what happened. So uh, maybe Christopher Palmer will be sort of the beneficiary of all of this craziness. It is, it is very crazy. But yeah, like you said, I think this is a small role. If he, if he only shot eight days in the film, you know, they probably edited the film down and they probably, you know, cut some of those scenes and they know what they need and they only need his part of those scenes. So likely he only needs to come in for, you know, a, a few days to just film, you know, those those parts. Um, but, yeah, I think everybody's going to want to see this when it comes out. So let's get into uh, streaming. We're talking about streaming now. Uh, Apple has we've talked about they are doing amazing stories. The St- Steven Spielberg uh, revamp of amazing stories. Now they have hired uh, Jennifer Aniston and. Reese Witherspoon for a morning TV drama and they ordered a two season order. Ben, what is going on here? Yes. So this has been uh, one of the two shows, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Amazing Stories is the other one that Apple has been uh, going after for their first real push into original TV programming. We're still not sure, which is very weird. Uh, we, We still don't know exactly how these shows are going to be presented to uh you know potential viewers we don't know if they're going to be released through apple's like tv app or if they're going to be on itunes or if they're going to be supported by advertising like you know traditional commercials or if it's like a subscription model or something that they're going to be launching all of that is still up in the air but we know for sure that this show is going to happen they are giving a, the show doesn't even have a name yet but it's a a drama starring Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon about the sort of cutthroat world of morning TV shows like the Today show and and uh, you know good good morning america that kind of stuff um so i guess it's based on a book by a CNN correspondent that is about the real rivalry between those two aforementioned shows. So this is going to be, I guess, Aniston and Witherspoon are starring as maybe like the anchors of these two opposing shows, and they're going to be sort of fighting it out. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the gist of it. I mean, those are two big names. I've always liked uh, TV shows that kind of have like in you know, a performance in the backstage, you know, Studio 60, the newsroom, those kind of, I mean, I guess those are both by Aaron Sorkin, but those kind of shows where, you know, there is two different uh, planes going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems interesting for a show. I just wonder, what is this Apple TV thing going to be? Is it going to be another subscription service that is going to be another app on Apple TV that you you know, you click on and do you get it free for having an Apple TV or do you have to pay for a subscription? What, what do you imagine this could actually be, Ben? Um, man, it's tough to guess right now because they're still so early in that in that process. And they really haven't like th- this is their first official announcement of um, 
uh, of these shows. So they're still in the process of figuring out how to unveil all of this to the world. And I think those decisions are, are actually still being made. If I had to guess, I would say that maybe it's going to be God, I, I don't know. We're going to talk about subscription services in just a minute. And I, th- I think maybe Apple will, will go away from that model. Maybe it'll release it for free for a little while, maybe like the first few episodes just to sort of get people hooked and then ask for like a, you know, like a payment via iTunes or something like that. I, that's That would be my guess. But uh, I'm I'm certainly not uh, not an expert in, in this uh, area. So we'll have to see what they end up going with. Yeah, it's, it's so strange. I feel like Apple, we were so used to them innovating and doing interesting things. Now they recently in recent years, they've been just kind of chasing what everybody else is doing. So I kind of uh, cynical me thinks that they're just going to create another streaming service. But uh, hopeful me, me thinks that like, oh, maybe they have something up their sleeves that is more interesting than, you know, that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that they have a, the, you know, they've been doing original programming already on Apple TV, on, on their uh, Apple Music app. Uh, there was Carpool Karaoke and there's like a Battle of the Apps, which is kind of like Shark Tank for uh, for iPhone apps, which to me sounds extremely interesting. I watched the first episode, wanted to watch it, then realized I had to subscribe to Apple Music, which I'm not a big music guy, so I didn't do and I have not seen it. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that later in terms of like, what will it, what would it get you to, uh, to pay for another subscription service? Uh, but before we get there, let's talk about one last streaming thing. And, uh, there's this big article in the wall street journal, basically about Disney's plans to buy Fox. Apparently it was to compete, uh, with Netflix, uh, that, that was their grand plan. And also, they have no plans to do new Netflix Marvel shows. Chris, what do we know? Right. So the deal with uh, Disney trying to buy 21st Century Fox uh, included all of, not all of, but a large chunk of the the Fox TV uh, output. And that was part of the plan. Basically, Disney is launching their own streaming service in 2019 to compete with Netflix and part of the idea with the Fox deal was to get all those Fox shows and I guess put those onto that streaming service. Um, right now that deal is pretty much dead or dormant. So I don't know what's going on with that, but in the, in the story in the wall street journal, it's revealed that all future Marvel net, not Netflix, Netflix, but all future Marvel shows will debut on the Disney streaming service, not Netflix. And it's not clear whether or not the current, Marvel Netflix shows like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, all those will be making the leap to this streaming service. But if I had to guess, I would say that's probably going to happen because Disney is already planning to pull all their movies off of Netflix and put those on the streaming service. So it just seems like it makes sense that they're, they're going for broke and just taking everything. But it is weird that those, those Marvel TV shows on Netflix are Netflix originals, which is usually a term that is indicative of Netflix owning that show in perpetuity for the rest of you know life as we know it. Um, <laughs> so I, I can't imagine that Netflix would give up those shows to have them go into Disney's network. And I also can't imagine that Netflix would allow, because they were co-producers on these shows, allow Disney to just take over a full production of them. But... Maybe, you know, we don't know what the contracts are like. It's it's going to be interesting to see. I think one of the most interesting things in, in this article 
is that it states that it's going to cost Disney $300 million or over $300 million a year to uh, take all their content off streaming network uh, streaming services and put it on their own streaming service because they usually get you know that much money in licensing fees from like companies like Netflix. So I, I guess the question is, is is a Disney streaming service going to make them over three hundred million dollars a year? What do, what do you guys think? Yes, of course. Come on, Peter. You know it will. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, you you need quite you need like what if it's te- if it's ten dollars a month for a Disney streaming service? I'm doing the quick math in my head, carrying the one. Uh, that is uh, that means there needs to be thirty million people subscribing to the service to break even, right? Yes, I yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to easily get that. Yeah, I, I I mean yeah, I mean they are Disney, so you're probably right, and you know they probably will have a Star Wars TV show, which will definitely make me pay pay, pay the money. But uh, we'll get to that now. In the mailbag today, I wanted to talk about uh, this. Isn't actually a question submitted by readers, but I thought with all the streaming news coming out, I thought it would be interesting to talk about how many streaming services is too many streaming services. So I guess before we get to that question, let's start off with uh, how many streaming services do you currently pay for? How about you, Chris? It's got to be at least five or six. Um, I have Netflix. I have Amazon. I have Filmstruck. I have Shudder. Um, but do you, pay, do you pay for Amazon? Or I guess you pay for Amazon Prime, right? Right. Amazon Prime you pay for, which, I mean, it's worth it because you get that free shipping. So that yeah. you get more than one thing with that. But it's it's a lot. And uh See, I, I always yeah. look at Amazon Prime as kind of like I'm paying for the free shipping and I get free movies and TV shows. Right. <laughs> I don't look like it, I look at it as I'm paying for that. Uh, That's true. Yeah. But uh, how about you, Ben? Uh, well, Chris, it should also be mentioned that you cover a lot of streaming stuff for the site, right? Like you write like a streaming column and everything. So that's like right. a part of it. How much of that do you think that you would subscribe to uh, if you weren't doing that? Just if you were just a, you know, a regular uh, a regular oh, movie lover. I don't know. I probably, um, I probably keep Amazon because again, the shipping, but like Netflix, a lot of times I can get like screeners from Netflix. So maybe I don't even need that service, stuff like that. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure I'd drop some of them if I didn't have the column. Yeah. Uh, I am keeping it extremely simple. I subscribe to Netflix and then I also am part of the, uh, or I'm subscribing for the disc plan for Netflix as well. I think I get like two discs per month. I'm on that, that level. Um, just because I love watching older stuff that often is not streaming on Netflix. Uh, and that's still for me the easiest way to do it, especially with like, you know, if there was a blockbuster right across the street or something, how much does that cost you? I think it's like $18 a month or something like that. Now, um, now you don't think that – or how many movies do you end up watching a month based on that? Not to derail um, us, which I will, I am, but <laughs> – Yeah, I, I don't know because we, we watch a lot of uh, shows on Netflix. So I guess uh, it's tough. I mean I typically we will watch uh, – my wife and I will watch um, both of the rentals that we get in – in the month um sometimes we don't get to one you know if it's if we're like really busy like this month we're out of town for two weeks so we're probably not are not going to uh <laughs> to make full use of that payment but i, I still yeah. like the uh the ability to 
um, just throw a disc in the queue and have it delivered to my house and not have to worry about it too much. Um, I, 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 I guess my question is why not? Why not just rent the movie for five bucks on like iTunes or something? Well, I yeah, and that's another thing is I think I'm just sort of uh, I'm too old school for that. I have never rented anything through iTunes. I did. I think I think I bought the interview, the uh, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, uh, James Franco movie in what was that 2013 when that came out through like Google Play or something just yeah. as like a, an FU to uh, <laughs> to like all of the, the hackers and all of that stuff. I was like, all right, I'm going to support these guys. So that was the I spent like whatever, 10 bucks or something and bought that. And that's the only movie that I own, uh, you know, digitally that I purchased digitally, I should say. Um, you know, the, there are a lot of, uh, as Peter pointed out in the past, you know, the the um, digital download and stuff that come along with Blu-rays and whatnot. But um, but yeah, that's for me. I just I just don't watch stuff through because I don't watch anything on my computer, really. I just watch everything through but, streaming through my PlayStation or on my television. I don't have Apple TV. And but, but there's I, a PlayStation movie store. You could you could be renting stuff on the PlayStation movie store. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I don't need it. If I have Netflix and the disc plan, I'm I'm sort of good with that. Yeah. Um, so what else do you have other than Netflix? That, <laughs> that's it, really. I mean, the the only thing that I would really want, I think, right now is Amazon. But because I live in an apartment that has a, a locked gate out front, it's hard enough for like my post, you know, the the post office guy to get into my apartment complex, let alone an Amazon delivery person. So because the the gate is locked, if I was living in a house and they could just drive up and, you know, deliver packages on my doorstep or something, I think I would subscribe to Amazon Prime in a heartbeat. But because of my living situation right now, it's just sort of like more of a pain in the ass to have to worry about unlocking the door manually and like getting down there and making sure that all that shit, you know, happens the way it's supposed to and all that. So it, I just have, you know, out of laziness and my, uh, my living scenario have not subscribed to Amazon prime. And you don't have HBO go. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess I do. I have HBO go. Um, but that sort of like comes with a subscription to HBO. So it's not, yeah. uh, you know, it's not that much of a, of a streaming service, I guess. I feel like I, I might have topped both of you in streaming services. I have Netflix, of course, because why not? And um, I feel like it's the biggest value in entertainment right now is Netflix. Um, I have uh, I have HBO Go and Showtime now, but those come with my subscriptions to them through uh, PlayStation View, which I use for my cable. Um, I also have um, CBS uh what is that all access or whatever it's called yep um yep. which i am probably going to plan on canceling because i'm not I'm, I'm not really loving star trek discovery and i can't imagine spending this much money just for one show uh i have hulu i'm surprised you guys d- didn't say hulu um there's uh some shows i watch that are on there that aren't on my cable television like nathan for you and some other stuff that uh you know i i just need to have and uh i think my last uh and final streaming service is uh technically i have or i have amazon and technically i have youtube red which is youtube streaming service but (laughs) i i pay the five or eight or whatever it is dollars a month for that solely not to watch their exclusive content but just to avoid all ads completely on YouTube videos, not only on YouTube, but embedded everywhere on the Internet, including on my phone. So that that to me is worth paying that that amount of money. Um, 
So I, I guess the question is now, uh, it, it's obvious that I'm willing to pay for anything. <laughs> and you guys are, are a lot more picky. Uh, so, so I guess why why do you guys why do you not pay for like a, a service like Hulu? Uh, I mean Hulu. I don't know for some reason I'm like I've always been adverse to Hulu. Also, Hulu and Amazon have a lot of the same movies, and Hulu has a lot of TV, but I don't, I don't really watch a lot of TV. So, as far as the movies are concerned, pretty much everything that. Hulu gets, Amazon gets as well. So I never really saw the need for that personally. Yeah, I have not gotten around to Hulu. I think it's just because there's so much other stuff to watch. There are definitely things on Hulu that I want to see, like The Handmaid's Tale. I've not seen any of that yet. Um, and I'm interested. I just uh, can't find I, – I you don't find myself – You should also seek out uh, Sneaky Pete, which is another Hulu original that I like. Oh, is that the, the Brian Cranston one? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard good things about that. So yeah, I mean, there's stuff definitely. It's not like it's not like I'm opposed to the content. It's just, um, yeah, I feel like there's you know, it's a little bit like what we talked about yesterday. The anxiety of peak TV. There's just like too much out there. I feel like I have enough on my plate already without um, you know subscribing to Hulu and realizing like, oh crap, there's actually seven shows that I want to watch on <laughs> here now that I have to just add you know to this ever growing backlog of things. So I'm just trying to sort of chip away and and enjoy what I watch uh, on the services that I have. And then I'm, I'll subscribe to Hulu at some point because I do want to see Handmaid's Tale. I do want to like finish the Mindy Project, which I was watching when that was on Fox. And then I haven't followed it over to Hulu. Um, and yeah, some stuff like that. So I, I guess the question is, what does Disney or Apple need to do to make you a subscriber to their service? It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like we all agree that like one or two TV shows is probably not enough to get us to pay $10 a month, right? Like, it needs to be more than just, like, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people pay for HBO. I know you guys are saying that there's a lot more to HBO than Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of people pay, what is it, 10 15 bucks for HBO just for Game of Thrones. Um, so they're watching, you know, four hours of content a month for that $15. It, 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 so what 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 do what does Apple and Disney need to do to make you a subscriber, Ben? Uh, for me, it would be they would have to um, release a show from a filmmaker that uh, or a, a TV show runner that I just love their work and refuse to miss anything that they make. And I feel like even that, like maybe there would have to be another show on there at least that I would be interested in watching as well. Like if Quentin Tarantino was like, all right, I'm making a, a 15 part limited series that's only available on Hulu. I would, I would probably subscribe to that um, just for that. And, and because like I said, there are some other things that I know on Hulu that I'm interested in watching already, but like for the Disney thing, if they were like, all right, we're doing a star Wars show Honestly, I would probably just wait and see what you guys thought about it because I know that everyone else is going to subscribe to it, especially on Slash Film, and you but, guys but are you all going to be watching it. you want to be part of like that water cooler. I, I feel like a Star Wars show would be such an you know a part of pop culture and part of the co- yeah, conversation. I don't know. I, I would have to see who's involved with it, I guess. That that would be a key thing for me because um, that's that's a big part of how I choose what TV shows I watch. It's like, you know, who's in it? Who's making it? Do I trust these people as storytellers? Have they delivered in the past? Um, you know, it's not necessarily just the IP that I'm 
concerned with it's the people who are telling the story so if it was uh, a star wars show and ryan johnson was directing a lot of the episodes of it or um you know i, I don't know uh, it would have to be uh, a lot of elements would have to come together for me to do it just based on one show but what about you chris i don't know um uh i feel like i'm gonna have to subscribe for work as we've talked about but but let's uh, let's say you aren't doing streaming calling columns. Is is a Star Wars weekly television show enough to make you subscribe to a Disney streaming service? I, it depends. If it's like live action, then yes. I'm not like I'm not really into like the animated ones. So if they do like an animated one, then no. But if it's like a live action one and it has actors I care about and directors I care about, then yeah, I guess that might. Uh, convince me and here's the other question is does the success of a disney or apple streaming service i guess no let let me ask this again uh is the success of a disney streaming service uh, for you dependent on original content like disney has a library of tv shows and movies that are is unmatched i think uh to all the other studios like is that enough like if they just put out their entire you know if they put the Disney vault and they open the Disney vault online. Is that something you it would be enough for you to make you a subscriber? Um, no. <laughs> for, for me, it would actually, if they put the whole vault on there, cause there's a lot of stuff, you know, that they, they put it back in the vault and it, you know, goes out of print. I, that might be enough. Yeah. No, I, I, I think they're, if they could do that and they put everything, including like, you know, the old, uh, Disneyland TV specials, you know, like just completely opened up their content library. I think that would be enough to get me to subscribe. Star Wars would be a definite. Yes. Um, But I I really don't know what Apple's going to do. Like Apple is it's baffling to me because I don't think they could just make do on a few TV shows, original TV shows, and they don't have a library of content, you know, Maybe Apple will buy Fox. <laughs> and I, like, I, I can't imagine what what their game plan is. Um, I guess, There's okay. one thing I want to mention real quick, not to, to drag this out, but in, in terms of Apple, and I've written a lot about their original TV plans on the site, and you can read a lot about this there. But um, recently they were just saying that uh, you don't expect to see you know nudity or hear foul language or anything like that in this first batch, at least, of Apple shows because they want the ability to play all of their shows on screens in the Apple store. So they're not going to have nudity and all that stuff on the screens as kids are wandering in and out of malls everywhere in America. So, um, you know, maybe eventually they'll look for their own version of Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or The Crown, which were the three shows that they were sort of an early report suggested that Apple was uh, looking for a show of that caliber but as we've seen, Amazing Stories is a sci-fi anthology show that's probably not going to have any of that that content. And then this morning TV drama with Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston is probably going to be pretty safe in that regard, too. So um, just one thing, you know, for people to to think about as uh, Apple starts making all these announcements. For sure. OK, lastly, let's get to the question at hand. The question that started this all is how many services are too many like, what's the most that you could see you actually subscribing to? Like, I, I, I personally envision a future where I don't actually subscribe to a cable service, 
Like right now, I subscribe to the PlayStation View as my cable. I envision a future where I subscribe to, you know, Netflix, HBO Go, Disney, a, you know, like I, I subscribe to channels and not necessarily like a whole uh, uh, platter of, of, of networks and, and services. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you guys? Like what, what how much how, how many services are too many? What do you think, Chris? I'll say 10. I'm going to draw the line at 10. No more than 10 for me. (laughs) I think for me, it would probably be closer to five um, or maybe maybe six or seven if you count like HBO Go or Showtime among there uh, among them. But um, but yeah, I I, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere for sure. Well, uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys out there think. Uh, if you if you have any things that opinions that we did not state on this podcast, please send them to peter at slash film.com. That's also where you can send your questions for the mailbag. That's peter at slash film.com. Uh, Chris, where can we find more of your work online? I am on slash film.com and you can find me on Twitter at C Evangelista 413. Ben, where can we find you? I am also at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find me on Twitter at SlashFilm. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, Please go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. That helps us out quite a bit. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow.